Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up! Um, first of all, congratulations uh, for your performance. I'm a big fan of the second. Jill, I wanted to ask you about these recent rumors about a leaked video. I was not in any homemade porn video that got stolen. That's right. Uh, I've got it here. You have to pay. <laughs> Come on, Richie. The movie's good. It's funny. Uh, you don't need to make up a story about me appearing in a porn movie to get people talking about it. Hello and welcome to yet another crazy adventure in Secret Cinema. Welcome to The Secret Cinema, the film podcast that keeps its friends close and the screen even closer. I'm Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and on today's episode we're rejoined by Will Ackland to discuss Nacho Vigalando's 2014 techno-thriller Open Windows, along with his 2003 musical short film 735 in the Morning. This is our 40th episode, so I'd like to quickly thank the continued behind-the-scenes efforts of our composer, Ricardo Ortiz, and our executive producer, Gary Carone, and give a separate thank you to Ricardo, Courtney Mandarino, John Dixon, who still owes me some Blu-rays, Josh Benson, Emily Neal, and Will Ackland for being excellent guests. Thanks, y'all! Anywho, 7.35 in the morning only has one element to be sampled, its titular song, which lasts through most of the seven-minute short. You'll hear the song at the end of the episode, but you should really just watch the short. We'll have a link to it on the website. Also, despite each of us having watched Open Windows multiple times, a lot of the specifics left us confused or flew right over our heads, and this certainly affects the complexity of the discussion. I'll elaborate on this more during the sample intros, but first, here's Carrie with the plot summaries. In 7.35 de la mañana, a man performs a drastic romantic gesture for a woman in a cafe. And in open windows, Nick Chambers has won a contest to meet his favorite actress, Jill Goddard, after the premiere of her latest film. But at the last minute, Jill's manager, Cord, cancels their meeting but sends Nick a live stream link to Jill's cell phone. Although a bit disturbed, Nick can't look away from this opportunity to spy on his favorite leading lady. But what Nick doesn't know is Cord isn't Jill's manager and that he's opened a window into a deadly interweb of deception. So, despite having seen this film four times, I somehow completely failed to glean a key piece of information during the ending, and our disagreement about this kind of throws the discussion into confusion. So, low-key spoiler alert, the reveal that threw me revolves around whether or not our protagonist, Nick Chambers, is actually Nevada, a secretive super hacker. As you'll hear in our first clip, Cord discovers that Nevada has been pretending to be Nick Chambers the entire film. In my defense, the visual side of this film does quite a bit to overwhelm and disorient you, and a perfect example of this is the appearance of up to three Elijah Woods on screen during this reveal. But anyway, here's that clip. You heard me. I didn't know who the fuck you were. But yes, I heard you say something out loud. 
Now I can make JoeGodardCock.com the most popular website of all time. And that was my only clue. As soon as I recover, I'll check out that website and its owner. Nick Chambers. But he was just some poor kid, jerking off with a normal laptop. So, in order to find you, I did what I've done many times before. Play a role. Change my face. I became Nick Chambers. Son of a bitch. What? Don't shoot him! What's wrong? Don't you get the real reason I had you leave the warehouse? You really don't see it. See what? A kid you're looking at doesn't know a thing. He's been asleep all day. What? Since I nabbed him at a gas station on his way from LA. Wait a second. He's, He's been, been in the trunk, trunk the whole time. What the fuck is this? He's not the one you've been playing with all night. I am. What? Look at your screen. But... Hi, Cord. Oh. But... Well, it seems you're not the only one driving around with someone in the trunk. How could it be? Nick Chambers. Don't worry, he's okay. I stole his identity and his computer so I could find out who you were and find a way to hunt you down. Open Windows is structured and shot to replicate the first-person experience of using a computer interface, and because of this, much of the dialogue does not play out in a typical conversational style. We hear a mixture of monologues, eavesdropped arguments, and overlapping dialogue as Cord forces Nick Chambers deeper into his voyeuristic game. And while this works very well for the film's aesthetic, it makes it difficult to find a clip to illustrate the film's performances. In our short second clip, we hear a brief argument between Jill Goddard and her boyfriend Dave. Pay attention to the emotions Goddard's words should be conveying, as well as Dave's weirdly clipped responses. Here's that clip. Joe, where are you? Hi. I'm going straight back to the rental. I talked to Richie. He's pissed. Yeah, well, so am I. It's not the same thing, Joe. They should have consulted me first. Why didn't they? Were they too ashamed? Joe, please. Jill, do you mind if we say you got caught masturbating for your boyfriend on a webcam? Give me a fucking break! Rumors get thrown out there all the time. They're talking about it everywhere! It's the best rumor I've ever heard, and it's probably got its own team of publicists spreading it. Jill, I don't give a fuck about that. And lastly, Open Windows goes out of its way to use and reuse the song Ghost Rider by the band Suicide. And because it's less than three minutes long, we're going to play it now for our final clip. So here's Ghost Rider by Suicide, and we'll see you on the other side for a discussion of Open Windows. Ghost Rider, motorcycle hero. He's looking so cute. Sneaking round, round, round in a blue jumpsuit. 
guest will ackland will hello there he is he's here and carrie is also continuing to join us for uh, <laughs> another uh short film and feature film double feature uh this time from director oh i'm gonna get this wrong nacho vigalando uh that's like a weird accent on that but uh vigalando uh nacho vigalando uh who directed the short film 7.35 in the morning or, or 7.35 de la mañana. I, again, de my accent is mañana. <laughs> and the feature film, Open Windows. And I should say the short film is from 2003 and Open Windows is from 2014. It's from 2003? Yes. Um... But those are the two things we talked about and we had a lot to say on these, so... We haven't talked about them yet. Well, I'm saying we... We are going to talk about You're it. You're breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> uh, Carrie, what do you think about these? Well, I now, this is the fourth Nacho Vigalando movie I've seen. I think fourth. Yeah. Um, Maybe you got the short film. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say, I really like um, his, he very much comes at film with original ideas which I, I think is very sparse in the current uh, filmmaking world, uh, if you will. Like his new movie, Colossal, the idea behind it is so good, but I think he has a real problem with execution. <laughs> <laughs> and so, as much as I liked, I mostly like Open Windows, and I did really like 7.35 in the morning, I think that his execution is not as effective as it could be, but the idea behind it is super strong. Yeah. So I, that's where I'm at with Nacho. And I, I definitely agree that like, 
if we're kind of in going to end up kind of talking about like his other feature films just through the nature of this. But overall, as a filmmaker, I I always look forward to seeing one of his movies because I know conceptually he's going to try some shit. And with the exception of 7.35 in the morning, he tends to not fully succeed. Like, there's <laughs> not just like, oh, he gets pretty close. It's like, yeah, he fucks up pretty bad. But the core premise is interesting enough where I'm like, I want to see what he tries. And in Open Windows especially, he tries some aesthetic stuff that, while sloppy and confusing, is to me also very interesting because it's totally out of the ordinary of what you would usually see. And there's very little comparable filmmaking that uses the style this movie is shot in. So right. I, I think it's really cool for that reason, separate from all of the bad, obviously bad things about it. And I think 7.35 in the morning is just a really good short film. Probably uh, uh, Vigalando's best work so far. Uh, let's be on a first name basis with him. Nacho? Okay, yeah, let's just say Nacho. It's <laughs> Nacho's best. Uh, Will, what do you think? I agree. As someone who has seen three movies in the Nachoverse, one being... Ooh, Nachoverse. Two of them being the ones that we discussed, and then the third one being the most recent one, Colossal. I agree. Like, th this guy comes up with some interesting conceits for movies. Um, I don't really like how they mostly go, but I did really like 7.30 <laughs> in the morning. I thought that was a cute, <laughs> a cute um, thing. I like yeah. the approach, and I like the execution, and uh, I mean, it certainly looks like it was... A guy who didn't have anybody who just shot a thing just for fun, and it looked like everyone had a blast doing it, except for all the people who were held hostage. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that short film, and I was surprised when you said it was to, from two thousand three because uh, it's shot in black and white, and the cell phone that she pulls out of her purse looks like nineteen ninety nine era. Uh, well, keep in mind this is this is not the United States, so this short right? Film is yeah, from. it's uh, somewhere in a Spanish speaking country. I think it's, um, I think he's Spanish. So it's probably in Spain, presumably, and I don't know, I mean, Nokia phones are pretty big, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to have been in that movie. Not well, real as... quick, really quickly, just, it, it won't take long, the premise for 7.35 in the morning is a woman walks into a cafe, um, we can presume that this is a cafe she comes into every morning. At 7.35. At 7.35, and no one's speaking, um, no one is. no one's really doing anything, there's kind of Everyone's like, looking down, yeah. and they're very... Very quiet. And the, and the woman instantly realized that something is definitely off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden this man, and the man is uh, Nacho himself, uh, He uh, he's playing this character who starts singing. He starts singing about, uh, it's basically uh, like a, a scene of romantic comedy. I, I, I looked this up as soon as this started, but I looked up the Onion article, Romantic Comedy Behavior Gets Real Life Man Arrested, and that is like, <laughs> like a, a cheap shorthand for this. But he starts singing this romantic, like, like musical number about how he always sees this girl, but he never speaks to her. And you see that, like, people in the cafe are, like, very, very unhappy, but they're, they're becoming increasingly involved in it. And they, you see that they have, like, lines in the song and they're taped to their hand. And it's eventually revealed, obviously, this guy is singing up this woman who has entered the cafe, and this is all for her, but it's revealed uh, when this one guy gets stuck on his line that the singer of the song is has like a, a vest of dynamite on and is holding the cafe hostage and 
he's holding them hostage so that they will take part in this musical number for... I wrote down, love terrorists. Yeah. And that's that's essentially the whole film. There's Complete this, with dancing, yeah. and, and there's a musician with a guitar, and someone with a synthesizer. And it's kind of hint of... There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an actual... The song he sings is actually really catchy and a good yeah. song. Like We sing along after yeah. all. <laughs> it's like if... In Love Actually, when the guy goes to confess his love to Kira Knightley with the big white pieces of paper, he, the last piece of paper, he throws it, throws it away and he reveals he has like a bomb jacket on. It makes me think of the scene in, uh, in Ten Things I Hate About You where Heath Ledger sings oh, her. Yeah. But then he it also makes me, that in turn makes me think of the scene from Not Another Teen Movie where they parody that scene <laughs> and the guy <laughs> sings to Janie, Janie's got a gun and then security's like, Janie's got a gun and they die. You know who the guy it. is? Who? It's Chris Evans. Oh yeah, Chris Evans. Which, man, humble beginnings. You know the guy from Love Actually? That's Andrew Lincoln, also known as Rick from Walking Dead. Right, I knew he was the Walking Dead guy, yeah. All right, but um, so that's a quick setup for 7.35 in the morning. Open windows. Carrie, do you want to try to just parse it down? Yes, okay. Open windows. It is about this woman who's an actress in the movie named Jill Goddard. Or Goddard, depending on who's pronouncing it. If Which, you want the French pronunciation. A film nerd thing. Uh, and she has a new movie premiering. And uh, at the premiere, there's this guy, played by Elijah Wood, who won a contest. And he uh, is supposed to have dinner with Jill Goddard, but the dinner gets canceled. As you mentioned, too, he's the webmaster of like a fan website right. called JillGoddardCon.com. Man, I'm just thinking about it and it's like getting more complicated in my head of trying to explain it. <laughs> but, uh, so, she, uh, he ends up, um, he's on his computer at the hotel waiting to meet up with Jill Goddard and a pop-up window comes up on his computer and he's essentially told by this anonymous entity that Jill Goddard... Well, the guy says he works for the... The, uh, the website that is for the movie that Jill Goddard is at the premiere of. He's right. one of the produce- producers. Yeah. Right. And so he... Uh, essentially what ends up happening is this unknown entity ends up hacking Elijah Wood's computer and torturing Jill G- Goddard um, throughout the movie. And Elijah Wood is trying to rescue her through the rest but of the movie. But he's also through this this guy hacking his computer is like complicit in what is happening to to Jill and so he's trying to save her but he's also being forced by this this man to to do things to her like uh basically like watch her or um torture her boyfriend send commands to her stuff like that yeah i almost totally forgot about how her agent is like ball gagged and then tortured at the mouth but that is <laughs> up until the end which we can get to uh i mean we can get to right away if we want to but for the most part that is the core of the movie well, there's I mean, a lot of specifics that we're obviously not getting into but broadly speaking there aren't a lot of arcs to this there are there's elijah wood's character nick chambers there's uh, sasha gray's character jill goddard or Goddard, and there is what's his name, Neil Haskell. Uh, the, yeah, is, he's is Court s- Cord, uh, Cord, uh, which was such a weird choice of a name. And there's like, and there's a few other people who pop up, but those are like the Carol. three characters of the movie. Those are the people <laughs> who matter. 
Uh, well, and we should also mention that the movie is entirely shot from the perspective of Nick's laptop computer. Yeah, and like, and the movie we'll get into this. The movie cheats this to some degree, but at no point does what you're seeing not take place in a video pop-up on a laptop screen. Yeah, I tried to keep, like, a running list of all the different formats that we end up seeing. Like, there's webcams, there's security footage from, like, a hotel or a house. There's iPhone footage, that like, FaceTime, Skype calls. There's live streams. Um, on, like, a, a website, there's laptop videos, like, the list goes on and, and on. the movie, basically... There's you, those, like, uh, as you camera watch, balls. You watch the <laughs> plot that Carrie mentioned before, but entirely through these different videos, like, these different, like, kind of almost in a very broad way replicating the experience of just, like, clicking through Windows on the, on the internet. Gosh, it's almost like the movie's... Title represents how the movie's supposed to be. Yeah. You have all these different open windows, and you just go from one window to the next. But they and all I, have video. I was thinking about that before we watched this, because I was like, I was like, man, open windows is such an obvious like pun. And I was like, wait a second, it is literally what the movie is. But I'm going to give the movie a little bit of credit, slash maybe uh, accidentally accuse the movie of being a little pretentious, and say that I think open windows is a rear window. Uh, play on words because oh. this whole movie is rear window if you remember is a guy is trapped in one room and so out his window he looks through a bunch of different windows where different things are happening sure. and eventually settles on one where there is like a mystery and he gets involved with it and uh, and everything like that and the uh, the criminal is someone like more or less like he kind of knows a little bit about him, but he's more or less anonymous to him. And here we are replacing the one room that the main character is quote-unquote trapped in with one window that the action is trapped in. And within that window, we see other windows. And so this is, in a lot well, of they, ways... they say the title of the movie. Did you guys catch it? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the hackers that end up helping Nick Chambers try ops... Uh, they say we'll leave an open window for you, but it's so it's clear. But it, to, to a certain degree, obviously the, the the line isn't straight across. But it's it's to a certain degree a rear window for a modern age. Like, and I even thought of this too because of the it's it's so much about voyeurism. We're so much about watching this movie is. Is voyeurism the movie 2000? My <laughs> but, God, what if Brian De Palma? But that's what I'm trying to get into, which is that. Uh, this is like De Palma when he did the movie Body Double. Body Double, obviously, it's a De Palma movie, so it's all about voyeurism. But with Body Double, he wanted a porn star to play the female lead in the movie, and he didn't get a porn star. But this movie did. And uh, Will, do you want to talk about this? Wow, subtle topic. Yeah. yeah, they definitely brought in the big hitter here for Sasha Gray. So Sasha Gray is the uh, lead actress in this movie, and she is a uh, retired porn star. She's she the only actress in this movie besides Carol. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Carol, Carol. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just in short, so Sasha Gray... 
porn star. She's uh, retired for the last couple years. Uh, if you if you haven't or if you're not familiar with her pornographic work, you may have seen her on Entourage. It's probably the <laughs> biggest uh, name thing that she was in. She was in uh, like I think a couple episodes near the last couple of seasons as one of the love interests for uh, Vinny Chase. But uh, outside of that, she's no way Vinny. Yeah. So outside of that, uh, she's uh, pretty used to having cameras all around her and her removing clothing, and uh, you can figure out the rest because she's a porn star. I, I found out she's done 328 adult films. Yep. Just like, That's almost as many days of the year. <laughs> and I think it's in like, I, I mean, I, we're t- I think she was in it for like four years. That's pretty... Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, yeah she retired. Inside of Wikipedia, she retired at 21, so yeah. And she started at 18, so three years... Let's see, 328 divided by 3, that's 100 and some odd films every year. She a lot, but she Man, was, she was busy every year. But weekend. she was an award winner. That's just what the videos showed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, she was an award winner, yeah. Yeah, she, uh, what were some of her accolades? <laughs> award winner. Uh, you can look it up on the AVN website yeah. if you're not at work. Best oral <laughs> sex scene, uh, best uh, three-way. She's an acclaimed performer. And um, <laughs> in this movie... Uh, she plays an actress, and let, uh, we really are honest about the way the movie plays out. Uh, Nick Chambers is the main character, but all of the acting in the movie is more or less put on Sasha Gray's shoulders. And I would love to say that a porn star retired and became, like, a super amazing actress, and then we could just, like, think of her that way. But she is she in this movie and the other movie I've seen her in would you rather she is not an amazing actress and so much of this movie requires her to like not just be the focus of the scene but actively emote and look the camera in the eyes when she's emoting and I really don't think she rises to the occasion no I think she's usually used to one note when she's looking in the camera yeah (laughs) not to (laughs) But there is a scene later in the movie where she's asked to remove her clothes, and she does seem to be a little bit more comfortable with that. You know, it's really tough to sort of take her seriously, and we're, we're trying to talk about her with some level of respect and dignity. I mean, obviously, she's she kind of knew what she was getting into when she went into porn, and, you know, she had to live a life outside of porn eventually, right? Uh, she, yeah, she kind of sucked in this movie. Uh, I think, like... <laughs> I didn't know she was a porn star when I first saw it, and I thought she sucked anyway, so... It doesn't matter that she's a porn star. She still sucks. Yeah. Well, it makes it for an interesting discussion, though. Maybe, like, so... Yeah, like, why did she get cast? Well, I could tell you yeah, why she got cast. I don't want to jump to necessarily the ending of the movie, but it, it seems like she hasn't really done any... Sasha Gray, the actress, hasn't really done anything since this. This has kind of, like, been her last well, she's, shot. Oh, the, since this, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, th- I think... I don't know. I, I've, maybe Would You Rather came out the same year. It's, like, right around the same time, but I don't know if it came out first or second. But with, like, the voyeuristic aspect of this, and, you know, what, you know, that's mostly what porn stars are probably known for, is having people leer at them. Um, it's it's almost like this is a parallel to her, Sasha Gray, the person. Like, in this movie, I don't know really understand how it ends, but she, at the very end, like, like, the la- like the last, like the last, like lines in the movie are, she basically wants to disappear and like you know sort of be done with her film career. Kind of seems like the same thing with this. And honestly, this movie probably didn't do much help for her career anyway. Yeah, I don't think, and most people did not see this movie. This is like, yeah, most people have not seen it. More people probably saw a Grand Piano than this. You movie. want to know a fact about this? According to Box Office Mojo, domestic total gross, guess. Uh, $200,000. Less. Oh, oh shit. 50000 Less. 
Less than fifty thousand. Ten thousand less. Oh, oh wow. What like six thousand? Less. Less than six thousand. <laughs> yeah. Not a what, popular like movie. What? Like twenty five hundred? Less. Less than twenty five hundred. <laughs> We're talking like like less than a thousand. Seventeen fifty. Oh my god. <laughs> so this was a. Is that where did it show? Total domestic total gross is seventeen fifty. I was looking up the budget. I was like, you know, this movie it looks like it was shot in Austin. You know, it's got Elijah Wood's a pretty big character. Well, there's guy. a lot of like VR stuff, or not yeah. VR, but like there's a decent amount graphics. of like production yeah. design in terms of making it this computer thing, and it's pretty good. It's pretty seamless. Yeah, it looks good. But yeah, well, I have to say uh, kudos to Nacho for really owning the open Windows format. And he, there weren't any like. For me, there weren't any glaring issues of, like, him transferring focus within the open windows. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to complain about with this movie, but you, I, I will give him credit for the fact that I feel like the, a lot of the flaws in this movie are because he, at some point, said to himself, I have to commit to this aesthetic as much as possible, and seems to have devoted most of his focus to that. And failing the screenplay and the performances and everything else. Yeah, but the he really is like not terrible. No, but it's like it's it's good in a structural level, yeah. and then bad in like a details level, which is a bad thing to be weak at. But it he clearly has like a very strong like vision for what he wants to do with this material aesthetically. Like he he clearly imagined like the experience of sitting on a computer and tried to figure out the most cinematic way to convey this. Like I think the year after this is when Unfriended came out and I really like Unfriended. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and Unfriended is also surprisingly cinematic, but Unfriended is also a little more minimalist and this is like very like chock full of action and stuff like that. I also think I think the only other short film I can th or film I can think of that uses like a similar format is there's a, there's a segment in the VHS anthology film, the very first one, and there's a short directed by Joe Swanberg called The Sick Thing That Happened to Emily When She Was Younger, and it's almost entirely through Skype calls. Um, oh. I th actually, I think the whole movie is That's funny, because uh, Nacho did a segment of VHS viral. Oh, oh, I did not see that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So he, like... I, I feel like he really does, he really does try, like, I, I know, it seems like there's a few moments where it would be so much easier to just, like, stop with the gimmick and just, like, jump to, like, normal filmmaking. And he instead commits to the style and then also is like, well, I have to depict this, this, and this now because it's part of the style. And I do think he, he like, the style is very consistent overall, even though there is some sloppiness, yeah. And it looks good. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it. So if you, if you, it kind of does take it in and out of it when they sort of sw swap between one thing and another. But they make it very clear that like you have to imagine you're sitting looking at a computer screen, going back and forth and back and forth. It what it really uh, unfortunately doesn't like keep you sort of in that world. It just makes you think like, man, this is a hell of a computer type of thing. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't. I mean, do we want to start? Battery going, life is pretty good. Yeah. Do we want to start going down this road? <laughs> yeah, I got a lot it. of things. Yeah, okay. Well, so, okay, but let's. I just want to, again, emphasize, at least for me, like, kudos to Nacho. I really thought that the way he transferred attention within the laptop screen was... 
pretty seamless. And really quickly, before we get into what you're saying, too, just on this note, uh, Nacho is an Oscar-nominated filmmaker. Uh, 7.35 in the morning was nominated for the Best Short Film Oscar. Uh, he lost to Andrea Arnold, who is now more famous for American Honey and <coughs> uh, other films. Uh, but, yeah, he, and actually, another person who was up for Best Short Film and lost that year was... Uh, Taika, Taika Waititi, I definitely fucked that name up, but the director of What We Do in the Shadows. And so that actually was like a pretty decent year at Best Short Films. <laughs> One of the rare years <laughs> was an important year. Uh, but yeah, so this, he is recognized and, to some degree at for And his he's a really interesting filmmaker. Like I said earlier, I, I really like what he's trying to, he, he's been doing a lot of interesting ideas and he writes most of his uh, movies yeah. as well as directs them. I think he just hasn't nailed it yet. Yeah. And so I. And on that, I, well, and on that note, Will. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I but uh, but at, at the same time, what I was just going to say was that I am still going to go see his movies. Yeah. Like, like, we watched Colossal, and even though I didn't love it, I actually like. I think I like Open Windows more than I like Colossal. Yeah. Um,. But even though I didn't like it, I really liked the idea behind it, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do next. Plus, I mean, you can kind of tell the, the type of director, even he's writing his own stuff, so so people have to like the things that he's doing. Elijah Wood, okay, so everybody knows Lord of the Rings, but he does quite a few of these indie movies or sort of indie projects with yeah. Fred on TV. So, so I mean, that's a decent get, and we can well, laugh about Sasha Gray, but in Colossal... Okay, well, if we're gonna, if we're not gonna get into that, the no. thing we're gonna talk about, then I wanna say this, which is that imagine this movie, but instead of Sasha Gray playing the lead, Anne Hathaway played that character. It would be a lot more interesting. It would be a an actual actress playing an actress <laughs> role. Anne Hathaway could do that range. And that led me to thinking, because, yeah, Colossal, Anne Hathaway's part isn't super developed or super complicated, but it is, like, a part for a woman that is interesting. Like, it might not necessarily be the best reflection yeah. of a female character, but it's an interesting character. And you have to imagine that Jill Goddard is an interesting character, or at least, like, it's an interesting movie to be playing that character in. And then Time Crimes, I was thinking back to Time Crimes, and Time Crimes is, like, a like a four-person cast. I think there's four actors and then one double. And so the woman, the, the, the woman who's, like, the main <laughs> woman who's, like, the victim of the time travel and that, that's an interesting role because she's having to just, like, with this one other actor keep replaying these scenarios all these different ways. And then 7.35 in the morning also focuses on a woman who has, like, the, I mean, who is the most interesting part. Everyone else is doing this normal scene, and then she's the one who has the context of, all right, you're living in a, a musical number, but it's horrifying for you. It's yeah, a terrible Yeah, all the scene. men are terrible. And that's, I wanted to watch the short film with open windows because I realized that, at least based on what I just mentioned, Nacho's thing as a filmmaker is he makes movies in which bad men through extremely elaborate and complicated means control or possess women. Mm -hmm. And at 7.35, we 
We have a suicide bomber uh, um, forcing people to do a musical number as a means of, like, trying to win this woman over. Time crimes. Uh, the time travel. Uh, this one woman ends up being, like, a prop to help this man uh, get back to his normal life, but he ends up destroying her life through the time travel. Uh, in Open Windows, we're going to get into, but like we said, uh, there's a hacker using, like, an unbelievably elaborate system of hacking and, like, security systems and cameras and tracking devices to like try to kidnap this actress and in colossal there's the whole thing of like this this incident happened to these two people when they're kids and now when they go to this one spot at this one time they're like avatars are these monsters that show up in south korea like and and the way uh, the one character takes that and uses it to control Anne Hathaway. Like, it's, like, such an unbelievably pointed thing in all of these movies. And I haven't seen any of his other short films, but I get the feeling that we're probably going to see this theme again. Yeah, I don't mind that theme. Yeah. It just... I like seeing Hopefully it. he'll do it a little better. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because that kind of brings me into the, my many, many... Yeah. <laughs> Many problems with some of these things. So start your laundry list. So okay, let's let's set the scene here. So we, the the good things about this movie are that it's really seamless in the way that it goes from one window to another window and all these different camera things. The problem is is that you have characters acting like complete idiots yeah. in dealing with all of this in, incredible technology, which again is actually very nicely done. Um, so th I have some untenable mistakes, uh, <laughs> that happen to this. So let, just to basically s set up the way that this plot works. So Elijah Wood is like this voyeuristic, uh, website master who takes screenshots from movies, uh, publicity photos, all these types of things, anything where Jill Goddard looks kind of sexy and posts them up on a website. If you ever looked up any celebrity, you can find these types of websites that definitely exist. So he thinks that he's going to be... I'm sure there's websites, ironically, about Elijah Wood. Probably. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that there are. Definitely websites about Sasha Gray. Yeah, there are definitely, yeah. <laughs> those who are safe at work and those that are not. Uh, so he's... He's at this thing in Austin, Texas for this movie premiere, um, but he's not even actually at this event where the, the actor and the director are, are sort of showing this preview and sort of talking about the movie. He's sitting in a hotel taking, like, screenshots of this of this thing to add to the website. He's working while he's supposed to be planning to meet uh, meet this actress. And so in the process of doing this, he gets uh, this, a random phone call from an unknown person, but it's but it's a it's a Skype call with a face that he doesn't get to see, and he happily goes along, understanding that his uh, dinner has been canceled with the actress, and then he proceeds to click on a series of hacker links uh, that initially start with this streaming website for this event, and eventually sort of show that he can hack that this hacker who has sent Elijah with these things uh, can get into uh, Jill Goddard's phone and so at some and he has all these different cameras so basically Elijah Wood has the ability with at the beginning of this with a hacker can show uh, all these different angles of Jill Goddard basically that Elijah Wood initially is sort of interested in because he can take all these nice photos and put them up on a website well as the plot quickly develops it turns out that Jill Goddard's life is not super great she ha she's uh, cheating on her boyfriend with her agent uh, and her, her agent's very possessive. Yeah, her agent is very possessive, and it just so happens that her agent is staying at the hotel that Elijah Wood is staying at. Now, with this dinner being canceled and this hacker knowing all of this information, he helps Elijah Wood set up a camera to view their hotel room across the, the way um, to sort of spy on them. Now, 
it should have been a red flag besides like picking up a random Skype call with uh, from an unknown number with a face <laughs> you've never seen yeah. who has all of these hacker links that you keep clicking on. That when you set up your camera that he hacked into, that he could go see through walls. That should have been a red flag that, wait, why does this guy have this amazing software that he can have crystal clear audio from something that's like a thousand feet away uh, through walls and across space and time? <laughs> You know, you, uh, just taking the step back and, like, hearing you talk about Elijah Wood's character just accepting this this person's phone call, I, the movie does that so quickly and just well, makes you kind of accept it that you almost don't even think about it. Like, like I just, for myself, I just took a step a step back and was like, okay, let's say I'm on my computer and I get a Skype call from someone I've never heard of, at, from a number I've never seen before, and I ha- I wouldn't accept it. But hold on, because this is the problem with, like, we, we usually, on this podcast, we build up to the ending, but the ending affects that whole issue of why the fuck people behave so yeah. stupidly in this. Yeah, you're right. So, okay... <sighs> Does someone want to try to explain, <laughs> like, not the true ending, but, like, w- w- the whole deal with, with, um, the fucking hat. Nevada? <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I, I, I think the way to do this Ugh. is, you have to take the movie as it's presented, and the yeah. ending can certainly affect, like, you know, at the end of Sixth Sense, that can affect the way that you see the, the movie yeah. and you watch it again, right? But you have to sort of accept the movie as it is until the plot changes. I'm just saying, if we're going to criticize the way people behave, especially Nick... Uh, the issue that's, I'm hitting at, and I guess this will be confusing, listener, if you don't know what the ending is. But I don't know who exactly is the the person that we're seeing through most of the movie. Are we seeing Nick Chambers or are we seeing Nevada? Yeah. So I would assume we're seeing Nevada, but I yeah, it's tough to say. Well, and okay, so I'll try to explain Nevada. So Nevada is this like ultimate hacker and we only come to discover that nevada is an ultimate hacker because through nick chambers because this other hacking group called triops tries to hack nevada and they want to like assist him with whatever project he's working on and we come to find out basically at the end of the movie that Nick Chambers is a, um, like a fake person that was basically used as like a body double for Nevada. But no, he, Nick Chambers is real. He's real, but he's but the person that we've been watching the whole movie thinking of as Nick Chambers is but Nevada? but no, but we don't know that. Yeah, we don't because know. there's there's a scene there's a scene late in the movie <laughs> where where Cord and Nick Chambers meet in person and Cord shoots Nick. And we think Nick dies. And then, like, soon after that, Cord watches a video in which the person he shot is talking to him. And was like, hi, Cord, I knew you'd see this video. And so you're like, oh, actually, Nick Chambers is is in on this. And then Nick Chambers, the guy who's talking to Cord, reaches in the back seat. And then another Elijah Wood comes, like, out of the trunk. And so it raised the question of, if that's Nevada that's in the trunk... How long has Nevada been in the, When did Nevada get in the trunk? Did we see Nevada at... Was Nevada the person who we first... Not seen? what was... So, I don't think that's how it went. Yeah, I don't I think, think that's how it because, went because either. Because he shoots Elijah Woods. We should just... It's almost... So, Cord... 
at the end of the movie, there's this long chase scene, and uh, Elijah Woods crashes his car, and then Cord, who's this hacker who Elijah Woods' character has been talking he's to, he's the bad guy. Uh, he, uh, this Cord guy shoots Elijah Woods' character, and he falls over, it, presumably yeah. dead. And this video that Paulo has been talking about, uh, what I think the way that it actually is is the one who was shot was this no. Nevada character, and Nevada had the actual Nick Chambers tied up in the trunk. In the the whole no, time. but the, the one who gets out of the trunk is says. This is Nick Chambers, and it says the one who's in the front seat is the real guy, and he said that he let me borrow his identity. Like, he goes out of the way to be like, mm-hmm. hey, audience, here's some exposition of who this is, so that, that's, and that's why it's so confusing, because at very least we can assume that the real Nick Chambers is the one who's in the car chase, to get there because that's no not point- what I got out of it, Paulo. I got the, what, what Will's saying, where the Nick Chambers that got shot in the chest was Nevada, and the real Nick Chambers was in the trunk the whole time. And that's why he, they bring up the CD all the time, is because it's, it's Nevada's CD, and so it's Nevada's car. But no, but yeah, it's Nevada's car, but then the guy who's driving, he's like, I studied you. You don't listen to this type of music. Nevada, the guy who's hiding in the trunk. Right, but yeah. but Nick, the the Nick Chambers we're seeing, he's pretending to be Nick Chambers. It's actually Nevada the whole time. But like then they, Nick but, Chambers, but okay, Nick so let's Cham- no. I, I'm saying theory- let me, if I agree with you that that's the case, we're seeing Nevada the whole time. Then this innocent guy has just been kept in the trunk solely this whole time for the purpose of this reveal where he goes. Actually, there's two of me. Yes, and that's it. That's why. That's, that's, that's why I'm just saying. Why is why that? Like why is that as? Why is that <laughs> less absurd than what I'm describing? They're both I'm not absurd. saying it's less. I'm absurd. just saying like they they both seem like equally probable based on the information the movie is presenting. I'm not saying it's yeah. less absurd. I'm saying that this is what I think yeah. happened. The point we should say though is. It's very confusing at the end. <laughs> That's why I, th- I think the way to think about this movie is you have to watch it as you first understand it, and then sort of have the ending figure that out. Because I, I, I mean, I, I think we're still, as you can hear, we're still trying to sort out exactly. So was he? Was Elijah Wood? This it was not, is it not Nick Chambers who was actually watching this in the hotel room in the beginning. It was Nevada with. Nick Chambers' face, or was this Nick Chambers in Nevada was just waiting for his moment to be able to spring this on Cord? So the the, the real and also there's the whole thing of that Cord. It is said flat out that Cord involved Nick Chambers in this plan, and then Nevada saw this happening, and that's when he took over for Nick Chambers. So again, that does imply that like if what you guys are saying is what happened, then Nick Chambers has is the entire duration of everything that happens in the movie is in a car trunk. Which I believe that cuz how else would this would this triops team be like hacking into this laptop to be like, "Hey, what's up? We're here to help." Well, and it's also entirely possible. I'm just like, now I'm just thinking about all the different possibilities, but it's entirely possible also that Nevada knew that uh, Cord was going to have Nick Chambers get into the car. And so he could have switched with Nick Chambers at that moment when he finally gets in the car. So Nick... But he's, he, you remember, he carries the computer. Because there's that we... He, yeah, he has, he has okay, so yeah, the there's that too. Yeah, so I don't... That's the thing, is like, so when did he switch with the real Nick Chambers? Or did he switch? 
I'd say the point is is that it's very convoluted at <laughs> the end. Yeah, and you shouldn't let the ending ruin the whole movie for you because there's plenty of stuff in the middle oh, of the yeah. movie ruined. But I'm just, I'm just saying that if we're going to get into our typical discussions of like character motivation, this movie really throws a wrench into that. You can't yeah, just say, like, can't. well, flat out, he's behaving this way and he shouldn't be because we, with the information given cannot conclusively say why anybody does anything in this movie. Yeah. Because, again, too, if we're... Let's say... Except for maybe Sasha Gray. Let's here. say Nick Chambers is in the trunk of the car and uh, and Nevada is... is Like, we see Nevada the whole movie up until that moment where Nick Chambers is out of the trunk. Then Nevada, during moments when Cord is not watching him and nobody is watching him, he does not give the game away. He still maintains for the illusion of the movie, like the panic of a confused. And he uses civilian. the triops team to help him. Yes, and which if he was really Nevada, would he really need their help? Maybe though. Again, like yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's, who it's, it's, it really falls apart when you get into the details. <laughs> okay, so I guess if we can, if you, it makes it tough to to sort of talk about uh, talk about it. Uh, with, with the knowledge that you get at the end, but it doesn't explain some of the, uh, like, unreasonable jumps that you have to make just in logic. Yeah. I'm going to now uh, explain some of my, as I quoted them, untenable mistakes. So here's the first thing. So all of this stuff happens at the hotel. You can't really skip over some of the events that happen. Um, Elijah Wood is, record, is recording this conversation between Sasha Gray and her agent in this, in this hotel room. Uh, there's a fight. And Sasha Gray leaves in, in a huff, and the agent then disco discovers that he's being recorded because he can see the camera across the hallway. So he goes to try to investigate in Elijah Wood's uh, character's <laughs> yeah. room. Elijah Wood, Which, who turned the lights on? Probably Cord. Uh, so so Cord has actually set up this room with a taser and a ball gag and, and, and things uh, to <laughs> uh, assist Nick Chambers' character uh, when the agent comes up. And so he can be subdued. So in the process of doing this, like Elijah Wood's character is like so confused and frustrated and doesn't know what to do. And now he's like in it because Cord has video of Nick Chambers tasering this guy and that's a crime. So uh, he has to escape. So Cord explains. <laughs> Not if you don't have a license, if you have a license that you can tase whoever you want. It is Texas. I don't know. So, so uh, Cord then it helps Elijah Wood escape. And this is where the movie like just completely died for me. So the very first, so while this is happening, Cord is like, has all these cameras in the room and he has the, the webcam and all these different things. And he has software that can point arrows at where things are. So he points an arrow. So <laughs> as, as you have to imagine if you're Elijah Wood, you see on your computer, a screen that's got uh, security cameras in your hotel room. And they're like arrows pointing to the specific uh, nightstand just like magically happen. And then he ended up using the cameras that were around him as navigation. So you have to imagine you're walking with your laptop in your hands and there's a camera that shows you where to go and you're getting arrow directions on the way to go. And then literally, literally the very first thing he says is turn right out of the hotel room. And what do you see? You see an arrow pointing left and you see Elijah Wood take a left. And at that point, <laughs> I was like, oh God. <laughs> Maybe it's reverse though. Now, even with this, this he is a foreign filmmaker, you know. Perhaps, yeah. Alaskara, Derecha, who knows? So, uh, and one, of, one of the other things, and this is probably more general that sort of applies to the whole movie, is so the whole movie, again, is takes place through a laptop, and there's all these different stimulus of webcams and security cameras and all these different things. And this laptop is connected to the Wi-Fi or some cell network or something. It's almost like you have to imagine this is futuristic because of some of the technology in terms of 
uh, at some at different points there are cameras that can be hacked and then develop like a 3D image of what they think they're going to see. Yeah, and, if you remember in Dark Knight when Batman hacks everybody's cell phones so he can track down the Joker, like a more stupid version of that. Yeah, <laughs> like somehow both more high tech and stupider looking. It's like a 3D modeling sonar with complete video that's live and, that's, and color like and real co color and live and uh in your in the palm of your hand if you want it so and that's kind of what's a little frustrating is this guy brings this laptop no first of all if you ever been in a hotel wi-fi start right there not great <laughs> even if you're paying for the premium stuff you're gonna have connectivity issues and you move out of the room okay so this this laptop goes into an elevator still full everything sound audio he goes into a garage, a parking garage basement. Then he's in a car and he's driving around Austin. And I haven't ever been to Austin. And I'm sure... I've that, been there. Yeah, I'm sure we have a couple but, of listeners, uh, Justin yeah. Benson in particular, who might... <laughs> maybe should, uh, <laughs> You can cut his last name. Uh, <laughs> uh, whatever. He's been on. He's been on. Yeah, anyway. Hey, Justin. <laughs> hey. Um, but, like, this, this laptop has incredible battery power. It's streaming really high-definition video that's chatting with all these people around the world. And it's just, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch for anyone who's in, in your 2017 mind. Even if it's being a 2014 movie, it's like, wait, that's one hell of a laptop. Yeah. He's got a magic hotspot. That's it's, what's going on. It's very incredible. Not to mention that while... Uh, doing all this and not losing service, he's also running like six different programs right. on his laptop. <laughs> like this is really an amazing laptop, indeed. And he's got hackers who are going into his computer, and that's kind of a little frustrating too. Is so you have so let's ignore Nevada Nick Chambers. Let's just talk about the other two hackers you've got here. You've got Cord, who is the presumed villain in this movie, who is trying to burn Jill Goddard, and you've got this triops team which is trying to help Nevada or Nick Chambers. Um, and they're sort of going head-to-head -head a little bit. They don't actually like hack or counter-hack each other. They just sort of get information to the viewer or Nick Chambers. Yeah. So the cord is this like very good hacker, obviously. He has access to get into Jill Goddard's phone, all of these different um, uh, services and webcams. But he can't seem to recognize that there's another hacking team on the very laptop that he's trying to uh, coerce Nick Chambers' character. And meanwhile, these French hackers, Triops, are basically just complete stooges yeah. who, are, although they're very helpful to Nick Chambers, uh, they're just like, we don't know who Nevada is. We don't know who Cord is. Or even what this guy is doing. Why is he sitting next to they're we'll, also, we'll happily show our faces. Yeah. And give you our names. Yeah, they're, they're Pierre. They're, they're, they're French, but only one of them has a French accent. Uh, I looked it up. Triops... Um, Triops is, you know, you've just figured it's three guys who are doing Well, their logo is a trilobite. Well, so a triop is a like a little crustacean. Yeah. So I think that's kind of okay. what they're going for. Yeah, I, I wasn't 100% sure. Well, and then this even complicates more whether Elijah Wood is Nevada or Nick Chambers throughout. Because if he was Nevada, would he allow triops to hack Nick Chambers' computer? And... Like, play yeah. along with the triops? Yeah, if he is Nevada during those moments where he's contacting them, because he only can speak to them when Cord isn't listening. The movie goes out of its way to specify that. Yeah. So if he can only speak to them when Cord's not listening, why would he keep up the ruse? Of what is the benefit to him of pretending to not know well, who they now are? Now I'm not sure I know how it ended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's very. I thought I understood the ending to an extent. It's because it's because the plot. It seems like the plot was conceived totally separate from any thoughts of like human behavior, and humans were slotted into this afterwards. Maybe it was lost in translation. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I do want to mention this too about the performances. You mentioned Cord. I do think Cord is probably uh, Neil Haskell, if uh, that's his name. Neil Maskell. Neil Maskell. I know Um, because I looked him up and he says he's an Arsenal fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. And the day that we're recording, Liverpool plays Arsenal in two days. So fuck this guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's calling Maskell out. But, um,. He actually, I considering the tone and the style of this movie, I think he has the best performance in this movie. He seems to camp, what? He camps it up I'm in sorry, the right Elijah way. Wood is the best. He doesn't really have a performance in this movie, though. And Maskell uh, as Cord, Cord is like a campy theatrical villain in a very sure. campy, over-the-top movie. You don't really get to know anything about Cord at all. Like, Cord solely exists to be like, he's like... It's it's to me it makes me think of like in Bioshock how the villain is like a person you hear like audio messages from the whole game and it's like that where it's like it's it's just enough of a voice in your ear to be like all right there's an antagonist present I can uh, listen to him say garage over garage garage I thought he was like garage the key for, I thought he was like Kiefer Sutherland in phone booth though where 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 you've got Elijah Wood is your is your Colin oh my God Farrell that's Farrell. the one Colin Farrell uh, and Kiefer Sutherland in court is Kiefer for Sutherland, where he's just like, here's the thing you're going to do if you don't do this, I'm going to start hurting people. And that's why Cord shocks uh, Jill Goddard's agent boyfriend, Tony. Yeah. Uh, Which, how does that work? Does that mean he has like an electrical ball gag? Is uh, that what was happening? Maybe it's like remote. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Teaser. I don't know, I mean, there's like sex toys like that, I'm sure. But the other thing I wanted to mention about the acting... I mean, Sasha Gray would know. The thing I wanted to mention about the acting, especially because this is directed by someone who is not a native English speaker, is all of the, all of the performances that are not the lead three have that, like, Dario Argento quality where it seems like the dialogue is dubbed by... Yes, like, I noticed that with the boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, well, and also one of the, the the French hackers, there's like one who every time he speaks, you're like, that is not his voice. <laughs> that is definitely not his voice. That he's nowhere, he's ever met the person who is talking for him. Yeah, the boyfriend, uh, Sasha Gray's like boyfriend, uh, Dave, Dave. Yeah. His, all of his audio seemed very dubbed. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very weird, and it's not like their performances are stilted. It's like that weird breathy quality, and and there's like a hotel room. The scene where the agent and Jill argue is like obviously it's far away, but you can tell also that they like recorded them the, doing the scene, and then they had the actors stay in the room and watch that scene and do the dialogue. <laughs> like it just none of the dialogue sounds performed by people who are like walking or breathing. It seems like people are sitting in like an armchair delivering this like very soft, relaxed, spacey dialogue that doesn't mm-hmm. seem like in the moment at all. Uh, that's, that's all I wanted to mention about the acting. Uh, I want to get into a couple of the super uh, geeky things that I usually bring along to this. Yeah, do yeah. it. So, uh, it, bring should, out. it should be noted that this movie is, uh, especially from IMDb, I'm sure, Carrie, you might have a couple of notes from IMDb. There wasn't a ton on there. Yeah. Basically, this was shot like on location in Austin, and, that, and that's that's where this takes place. Uh, a couple things I thought were interesting. Um, they mentioned like streets and roads. One of the things that annoys me is, uh, Elijah Wood is driving around in the car to wherever uh, both Cord and Triops are telling him to, and they're barking at him directions. And on his laptop, 
it's like you know the the cameras that that are all around with again these arrows but he's like I don't know understand how he knows where to drive, but he's like looking at the laptop on, on the side <laughs> yeah. and then driving. So very dangerous. But, but they keep telling him different roads, like West Twenty Four, West Twelve, Enfield, East Second. Those are all actual streets, and roughly in the map area of downtown Austin, this all makes sense roughly spatially. Um, uh, where he leaves, though, he leaves the parking garage, as you said. Uh, you can see very clearly a, a sign as he comes up this ramp, and that is the William P. Hobby Jr. Building. Oh. At 333 Guadalupe. If you didn't know, William P. Hobby uh, was a Texas governor, and then his son was like a longtime public servant in I did Texas. Not know that. Uh, that building, actually, the William P. Uh, Hobby building, is a state building, but I don't know why he's parked there because there's not a hotel there. That building is actually the Texas State Board of Pharmacy, and also has the Texas Board of Nursing and the Texas Department of Insurance. And I also did a Google Map look of the general area, and I didn't see a immediately see a building that looks similar to a hotel <laughs> where you could have a camera pointed across uh, to another camera, it like a hotel, like a L formation that you could yeah. sort of see across. And they did say they were at the Grand Wells Hotel, and I have no idea. I could not find any hotel. Yeah, like I'm that. sure they fudged that stuff. Yeah, but, but yeah. it's more fun than if it was real. Yeah, but the the, the one thing with the building, yeah, that's it's great because you mentioned that that has to be like a second unit where it's like we just gotta get this fucking shot of the car coming out of the parking garage just any building that will let us do this let's do it like that's what it sounds like it doesn't really like that is such a random choice of a building especially like considering how easily they could just shoot if they really tried they could shoot it nowhere like there, somewhere without a sign in front of it you'd think there has to be an a, a ground level exit in austin like that now there was one other thought i had so you can see repeatedly uh that the the, the movie's not shot supposedly on a laptop screen and the very background of the screen is a Jill Goddard photo like from the website but you can see like one of the widgets in the corner says it's 39 degrees Fahrenheit now I'm assuming that that's local temperature for Austin because it's at night and it's in Austin I know that they say that Nick Chambers is the first time he's never been to Austin no one has a fucking coat yeah okay I mean even if this is the desert that's cold that's a little too cold for people to maybe it's from where he traveled from that's possible I thought about that yeah, because that makes more sense. It doesn't get that cold in Austin. Yeah. Oh, at night. At night. Probably. I was there in February, and I I wore a tank top. But yeah, anyway, like you said, yeah, nobody is dressed for the weather at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's another like, uh, so there are some like, sort of Chekhov's gun idea here though. So at one point, the Triops guys call and they they so they they call Nick Chambers and they say, oh, you must be Nevada because we've dealt with you before, and you know, but the the lead guy Pierre actually says. He must. He must be in a mask, and that's spoiler alert. That's yeah. the way that it ends. He says that. He yeah. says he must be in a mask. Oh. Uh, and then he also later in the movie says it'll make it'll all make sense in the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to wait until the end. Yeah. yeah, it all makes sense in the end. Uh, what else what a liar there? he was. Um. So yeah. Oh. Although. Elijah Wood, uh, when he or er, uh, Nick Chambers, aka Nevada, when Nevada finally takes off Elijah Wood's face, he has like a, um, almost like the the we just talked about this, but the lady from Total Recall, where she like oh the two weeks thing yeah where I like, was thinking it was more like Miss Doubtfire when she yeah. like puts on her face <laughs> where to take off the pieces, but yeah. Yeah, I wonder what his face looked like underneath there. Yeah, that's the thing. At the very end of the movie, so the way the movie ends is, so there's a car chase where after um, Cord has threatened uh, um, Sasha Gray's character, and Sasha Gray uh, 
uh, is forced to remove her clothing so they can get some sexy pictures of her tits because it's Sasha Grey, she's a porn star. Um, and they post this on the Jill Goddard website because this is, this is like the final frontier. Earlier in the movie, uh, they say uh, they've never shown her tits before. That's the final, final frontier. That, like, that's a quote. And one of the other things they said, uh, Sasha Grace says, you don't need to make up a story about a porn movie to get people to see the movie. Well, what happens is this this thing that Court has been shooting to try to get these shots to put up on the website, um, they, they, they try to create some buzz for the for the film inadvertently, and they actually sort of fake uh, Jill Goddard's death by exploding her in a factory or something. And this is sort of gets to the whole... Probably what the intended point of the movie is, a rumination on voyeurism, because what they say is... And celebrity. Yeah, 20 million people were watching her die, and, and they said, well, if half of people leave, then we won't kill her, and only, like, 10% of people Which left. I wrote down that's, like, a very Black Mirror plot. Definitely. Yeah. But very poorly executed. Yeah, apparently. very poorly It's executed. like a, if a Black Mirror episode was, like, 30 seconds long. It's like, how much time <laughs> this takes in the movie? And so, uh, what, but what happens is it ends up that there was a fake, there was a fake video, she doesn't actually die, and Cord was gonna, it, it seems like it's setting up that Cord was gonna take Jill Goddard into this bunker to help, like, let her restart her life, because um, what ends up happening is uh, Nevada revealed through this weird, like, body double thing in the trunk that we were just talking <laughs> yeah. about. Um, that we still don't understand. Nevada, Nevada ends up, like, uh, getting Jill Goddard to run away from Cord. Cord sort of exposes himself, and and then Nevada takes Jill into this bunker that it looked like Cord was setting up. And then they lock uh, they lock it out, so Cord then has to be in this building that's burning burning, and then he gets crushed, presumably dies in the fire. And this bunker is strange because so they bring uh, this laptop down, uh, and, and so we, that's how we can still see what's going on in the movie. Um, but Jill Goddard mentions that, oh, all of her favorite movies and books are here. And uh, uh, Nevada mentions, all my servers are here. Or something like that. It's yeah. very, yeah, it's so not very clear. Yeah, so are they setting up, like, a paradise for the two But also, them? like, that, that he was clearly planned for this, like, to some degree, where it's like, like, everything is ready for you. Like, like, like why would he have all of her favorite movies? Unless, unless it was just, like, by pure random chance, which it doesn't seem like that was what's happening. It seems like, yes, everything is, is like, I studied you, and I know that this is the stuff you'd want, and I, we're taking you out of reality, of, like, your real life, and so you'll still have the things you enjoy, but in private. It seems something like that, yeah. And the movie mentions, like, very, at the very end, with, like, a weird voiceover, that uh, movie ticket sales to the, to this dark sky movie that at the beginning they were promoting have done very well and it seems like people are really going to miss it's Jill like Goddard. when every actor dies and they have a movie coming out the movie always does better than it should it's like the dark knight yeah <laughs> well the dark knight was actually good well, it but it certainly helps that you want to oh, see sure Heath yeah. ledger in the role that drove him insane oh my gosh did you guys see that they're gonna do a second uh it's not a suicide squad movie but it's like a harley quinn Oh yeah, Joker movie. Well, if you got Jared Leto and you got uh, Margot Robbie uh, on retainer, you may as well use them. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Money printing machine. Yep. But yeah. this whole movie was not a money printing machine. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there's no seventeen fifty bill. <laughs> I was just thinking about how colossal the the ending is not confusing, but the villain is confusing. Well, the problem with colossal, I mean, similar to this too, is that. It is so underdeveloped. Like, they, they came up with this great concept and then did nothing 
past what his like initial thought was on it. Where he's like, yeah. I have this. Okay, well, there could be this character and then this character and then they fight through it. And it's like he filmed it the next day. And it's like, I like, it really, like. Which is so weird because it feels like open windows he, and time crimes. Yeah. He must have wrote a ton of drafts. This guy has the gift of just like, he comes up with amazing gimmicks. Like, these are, if Hollywood was producing these gimmicks, he would, like, he would be a millionaire. And, but it's like, somehow he's in this, maybe it's because he was an Oscar nominee or something, gives him, like, too much cred, but he, like, he does that, like, Richard Kelly, Donnie Darko thing, where he, like, comes up with a great idea, and then just, like, it's like, how can I ruin this? Like, how can I fuck <laughs> this up really bad? Or just, like, what, what would do people want? All right, I will not develop that. I will not focus on it. <laughs> like, there's so much stuff in Colossal where it's, like, it's like, did he just forget that this was in the plot? Like, Tim Blake Nelson's character of the friend who may or may not be smoke, snorting coke in the bathroom. Like, and who, why is that important? It, it, like, it's just stuff like that where it's, it really, and like, just the stuff with the ending. Like, if you've listened to this podcast before, we usually don't come away with the movie having genuinely no idea about <laughs> stuff. Like, we're not like the smartest film analysts in the world, but it's like, really bad filmmaking if a group of three people can watch a movie and discuss it and still not come to a conclusion about what happened. And when we literally just had, like, earlier in this, had, had an argument about, like, well, wait, what, was he driving or was he in the trunk the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. He, Nacho got us. Yeah. Hey, so, I want to talk about something, and I would like to get into this as much as you guys are into it, but you want to talk about the movie Dark Sky? The opening of the of this movie. <laughs> uh, can I do a brief plot summary? Yes, let's do. So we open at a bowling alley. Uh, it looks like a large gentleman is bowling by himself. That's really all that's going on. It's just him bowling, and there's plenty of open lanes. The, this is how the movie opens. So it's not even that. It's this like a is, cold open. Yeah, this isn't even just like the the dark sky movie opens. This is how open windows open. Right. Yeah. So then this actor or this character we don't know i don't remember what the character's name is but it's played by the guy who is dave in the open windows movie and he basically is very confused he walks over to some large portly gentleman who has a shotgun and says oh my head hurts and the guy says oh you like have this pain in the back of your head yeah do you have that same feeling and then I'm like, I don't yeah. know what's going on. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the bowler stops bowling. It, like, what happens is he's he's rolling the ball down, but before he hits the pin, the ball slows, stops, and then reverses, and then goes into the guy's <laughs> hand. Obviously, basically shot this, and then just replay the vi the video in reverse. Then the guy, the bowler, like his eyes, he like walks over to Dave. He his eyes are like glowing yellow, and he like floats this bowling ball. It looks like he's gonna throw it at. at, at the, the Dave actor, but the ball then stops in midair, and then by some magic goes back and smacks the the guy with the yellow eyes, the bowler, in the head. And then out of nowhere, uh, here comes Sasha Gray. It, it seems like it's implied that Sasha Gray has used her psychic powers. Her character Gloria in the movie has used her psychic powers to like hit this guy in the head with the bowling ball. And then they it looks like they're about to kiss. And and the, our introduction into open windows is so whenever Sasha Gray is on screen and there's like a, just a brief moment where the camera seems to be still, Elijah Wood's character Nick Chambers is taking screenshots of this for the Jill Goddard Uncovered or whatever it is website uh, to be posted up because this is this is part of the trailer that's being played in Austin wherever this is. But this dark that sky movie, movie it kind of looks 
looked interesting. I didn't know where it was going. It kind of had like you know the the the, the eyes and the weird mind control. It thing. looks kind of like a bad knockoff of the last uh, Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, um, uh, and the, the World's, World's End. Yeah. World's End, yeah, where it's got the. The, the people, people with, with the eyes, yeah, like children in the, the corn type of thing, yeah. Yeah, children in the corn. It, it, so it, it looks interesting. I, I I would be more interested in uh, in in seeing a little bit more of that if that's what you're going after. My favorite thing in that Dark Skies trailer is when he's like, "Oh, my head's hurt. Head hurts. Oh, it's it's really starting to hurt." And she goes, "You've got to stop thinking. That's the only way to prevent it." <laughs> and that's how they start having sex. And she's like, "I'll give you some of this." to stop thinking about. Yeah. But, like, they're in a vent, right? They're like, what the fuck in a vent? <laughs> like, it's, it's really weird. And then Why it, not? And then, like, smoke comes on the screen and says, coming soon. And we've been, like, watching an uninterrupted scene for, like, four minutes. <laughs> it's supposed to be But the name of the movie is Dark Sky colon The Third Wave, which, if that's the, if it's not a sequel, that is a really awkward, <laughs> cumbersome title. But if it's a sequel, what happened in the other two movies? Like, what is the universe of this movie? I'd like to see more of the Dark Skyverse. What well, is why the, does what Sasha is, Gray have psychic powers? But no, wait, what is the power the guy had? What happens, what happens with the guy who's bowling? Like, really? When he's bowling normally, something possesses him? Or was he, like, a, like a light zombie where, like, the light turned on? And then, like, but okay, see, like, his, his power is that he he gained a rewind button. And psychics control <laughs> bowling balls? Like, like <laughs> Maybe bowling balls are the thing that actually passes through. Which is like, why would you, if you were hiding out in a bowling alley, <laughs> you know, that's the worst place to be. Yeah, it's full of weapons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why is it called Dark Sky if everybody's psychic? <sighs> <laughs> I mean, technically it was dark out when they, they showed all of the like the light zombies marching. Isn't there a movie that came out uh, like a year and a half ago with Chloe Moretz Grace, uh, the the Fifth Wave? It's like a children's movie. Oh yeah, it's like a YA book. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, maybe maybe this is just a. Well, and there's Iron Sky. Yeah. yeah. And, so. there's a, and there's Dark Tower and lots of other movies. That have I think we cracked the code. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Stephen King joint. Great, Stephen King joint. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, I want to point out some of the really bad dialogue that I wrote down. Um, there's a scene where Sasha Gray is in her apartment. And she somehow gets, like, a Skype call from her friend, Carol. Uh, it's never explained who Carol is. But Carol says, uh, this is one of the lines she says to Sasha, Tony's worried about your relationship. He thinks you guys should spend more time together. And Tony is her agent. So, like, what? Who talks like that? It's just, like, a very... Well, like, Carol's dialogue is, is placeholder dialogue. Yeah, like Carol, Carol does a terrible Carol, job. Carol does a terrible job, but Carol also does not matter. Like, she is literally... No, she's Sasha a convers- up She's her. a conversation uh, Jill has so that there's something going on in the background while Elijah Wood's character has a conversation. That's, yeah. that's the only reason Carol There's a sense. lot of that. Yeah. That's why Nacho's in the movie. Yeah, Nacho. Nacho has a cameo in this as the director, which, by the way, like I said, Nacho is the suicide bomber in 7.35 in the morning, and Nacho is the inventor of the time machine in Time Crimes. 
Oh, I forgot that. I didn't notice. Is he in Colossal? I forgot to look. I did not see. He's not listed in uh, Wikipedia, but I could go look him up on IMDb. Do it. I was really disappointed in Colossal. I thought I was gonna really like it, and yeah. it was just no. It was like as it was like an, a really amazing premise, and then they just like, I like I I I would say it's like a worth it's worth seeing, but it's because of how good the core premise is. Will Shaken is Nacho does not act. He's not listed as an actor in Colossal. All right. Well, would you say that Colossal's worth seeing? I think it's worth seeing. I mean, I like Jason Sudeikis. I think Jason Sudeikis makes really interesting movies. Oh, um, and his, him being cast in that role in Colossal is really awesome that he would try that role. Because, I mean, so uh, Jason Sudeikis is one of my favorite actors. I thought he was great on SNL. He has this like, natural charm. Um, and so there's lots of movies where he plays the romantic comedy lead. There's a movie with that, he came, that came out a couple years ago called Sleeping with Other People with uh, Allison Brie. It's kind of like a... Wasn't he in Mother's Day? I don't know, <laughs> probably. He does some, some some schmaltzy things, but he also has some great, like, interesting character work. And I would say in Colossal, he kind of has that charm charming character, but it turns very dark uh, throughout, uh, throughout the movie as it progresses along. Um, but Anne Hathaway is also... Not a bad actress. I, I like her too. I know a lot of people have some knocks on her, but I mean, she won a freaking Oscar, so yeah, really yeah, for it. like fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah, well, yeah. I never saw Les Mis. Her and uh, hey. Anthony Hopkins can hang out together. If you've ever, if you've ever seen Rachel getting married, you can't have a problem with Anne Hathaway. No, like yeah, she, she clearly, she proved herself with that movie. I'm a Princess Diaries guy. Oh, Princess Diaries. Don't even get me started. I love that movie. And if you're a boy of a certain age, you remember Anne Hathaway and Brokeback Mountain. But, uh, (laughs) yeah. Or Uh, that other movie where she shows her boobs. Havoc? Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure lots of boys (laughs) hunted down Barbara Koppel's Havoc. Uh, (laughs) Or if you, you know, looked on one of those voyeuristic websites, like they exist. I'm just saying they exist. (laughs) Anne Hathaway definitely has a fan site. Yes. And I'll admit that I went to plenty of Elijah Wood fan sites when I was a teenage girl. Those blue eyes. Couldn't get enough of Flipper. Oh my god. He loved those good son scenes. <laughs> We're like, he is the good son. I watched uh, uh, Event Horizon. Was he in Event no, Horizon? No, no, Deep Impact. Yeah. I always get Deep Impact and Event Horizon confused, even though they're not similar. I always, with Deep Impact, I almost had to, I had to get myself to say it right then. I always think of it because I had a friend who always called it Deep Pimp Act. <laughs> <laughs> so I always think of it that way. <laughs> Let's see. So he married the thing with Deep Impact that's so funny is he's like twelve in that movie and he marries Lily Sobolewski. It's like who wrote that movie? That movie is so bad. It's a really dumb movie. <laughs> I just want to see what else uh, Elijah Wood did. So he was in Wilfred, which went ran from twenty eleven to twenty fourteen. This movie came out in twenty fourteen, so you assume this is something he did in between seasons or something like that. But he was in a bunch of different movies. He was an executive producer in Open Windows, which explains how they got the money. Uh, yes. Yeah. Using some of that Lord of the Rings. Well, actually, the same money. thing with Colossal. Anne Hathaway is an executive producer on Colossal. Well, you know, if... Yeah, you get one good name. I mean, this is how Hollywood works. You you have to... If you have a project that's tough to sell, you just get the right name on it. And, I mean, I think the same year as Open Windows is when he did Grand Piano. And Grand Piano Oh, Grand Piano is, is so much better uh, what's his name? Windows. Who wrote it? Uh, God, this guy who did La La Land and Whiplash. Oh, it's... Uh, Damien Chazelle. Yeah, yeah, Damien Chazelle wrote Grand Piano. And so, like, 
Elijah Wood is not only being the lead. It's so funny because Elijah Wood and John Cusack are both in Grand Piano, but Elijah <laughs> Wood is the classier actor. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, now, now with the same right, John Cusack takes. But um, yeah. Um, I wanted to mention really quickly. Uh, I, I will, I'm going to say it again. Grand Piano is better than Open Windows. Yeah, Grand Piano is like a genuinely solid De Palma style uh dumb but really really good thriller yeah like any movie that like i mean just let me say it involves a sniper forcing a, a pianist to play the show of his life like that's <laughs> like that's the concept right there it's so good it's so uh, good i, I want to mention this from the movie because very rarely do i watch movies that make scenes where they draw attention to a band that they like but uh oh yeah this movie this movie has randomly Repeated moments where anytime Elijah Wood is in his car, where Nick Chambers is in his car, there is a CD in the CD player, and it is Suicide's debut album, and it's starting right at the beginning, so they're playing Ghost Rider, and Ghost Rider plays, and at first, like, uh, when Ghost Nick Rider. Chambers is driving, and Cord hears that Ghost Rider's playing, he's like, what is this? I hate this music. And then later, Cord, like, makes Elijah Wood take the CD player and, like, throw it out the window into the dirt. And so at the very end, when it's discovered that, like, whatever's going on with Nick Chambers and Nevada, Nevada picks the CD up off the ground and says to Cord, like, or says to Cord's camera, um, and by the way, this is my CD. This is Suicide. Uh, this, Yeah, he says, this band is called Suicide, and they are awesome. And they are awesome. Turn that down. That sample's going to be in the, in the episode. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, like, I... I don't know. Usually, if it's if it's, I, we just finished watching Community, and Community had Natalie is freezing, which is most things will do that where they like make up a band. But they that also had fake. Dave. They also had Dave, uh, but <laughs> but they didn't have Dave on the show sure. and talk like sure. they didn't talk about Ants Marching. They reference it, but they have like they're like we need to talk about a band. Characters bond over band. It's this thing, and so for a movie to pick like a band like Suicide, I just. I appreciate it. I mean, it's it's like I, I I'm already like in the small small group of people who would watch this movie repeatedly and enjoy it. So to see that I'm also not only that, but I also share musical taste with somebody who made yeah, this movie. That's a question. Do you think that is that a is that an Elijah Wood move? I don't imagine that Sasha Gray even knows what that is. No, actually, but Sasha Gray has really good taste. That's like one of the things that made her so does Elijah Wood oh it's like Sasha Gray skipped I thought I read an interview with her where she said she skipped her prom to go see Miranda July's Me and You and Everyone We Know and she was in like an industrial rock band uh like uh, she like she is she she more or less yeah, like, that was she probably genuinely does no suicide but so does probably Elijah Wood because uh as like I mentioned a teenage girl I loved Elijah Wood, and he his thing during Lord of the Rings is he would just go to the local music stores and buy whatever CDs he could. Oh yeah, he had a rec- he had or has a record label. Yeah, and so he had I I've seen pictures of him with like his books of CDs, and they're like you know like two feet thick and and uh, two feet wide, and you open them and there's you know like four CDs in each sleeve and. Uh, I can imagine he knew who Suicide was. My thing with that was, Suicide's music wasn't that unpleasant. 
So yeah. Cord, Cord was just getting very upset for no yeah. reason. It was, and it seemed like, too, it was going to pay off in a better way than, like, yeah, you know how you said it didn't sound like that guy's music? Well, it's because it wasn't that guy's music, it was this guy's music. Like, that's, like, <laughs> the payoff for that setup. Like, it was really dumb. That but, was the only clue that Nick Chambers was not Nick Chambers. Besides the French guys. Besides yeah. tryouts. Right, besides the French guys, yeah. I w- Which the French guys, going back to Dark Skies, the French guys were wearing, initially, wearing glasses kind of like the aliens in Dark Skies. Where their eyes lit up? Yeah, good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Alright, we got anything else to say about this open windows? Yeah, I'm kind of all out of... All on the notes. I tapped out. Yeah. Like we said, uh, the, the, the specifics of this are so, they're either vague or they, like, really don't matter. Like, we could go endlessly about, like, like walking through the steps because the whole movie is, you see, ev- it's, it's in real time. You see every step of everything that happens to the main characters, but it's not actually going to be interesting to listen. Like, us describing that, we could get into, like, very technical, specific stuff, but... It's... I do think that this movie is like an interesting um, snapshot of technology. Like, I, I probably in like ten years, this will be so outdated. Yeah. Like the idea of open windows. Um, it's like when it's like uh, that terrible movie Cellular. Have you guys <laughs> <Yeah>. seen that movie? <laughs> like that movie is ridiculous because it's based on cell phone technology at the time whereas now everyone's cell phone is a little computer in that movie everyone's cell phone was just a phone and so it didn't really necessarily age well i mean they made this note about seinfeld where like most seinfeld episodes don't work if you set them now because so many of them revolve around people like missing phone calls or like voice or <laughs> not, not communicating yeah something, something like yeah. that yeah yeah and so i think that in like 10 years this movie will be really interesting to rewatch as like a a snapshot of the way computers worked, or the way we communicated with each other, or the way hacking was perceived. But it's a really interesting attempt to like engage, even if it's like when it's super out of date. People can go back and as like a period piece from the era, being like, "Wow, this is like how this specific year viewed." Some film this. nerd is gonna write their thesis about like oh, technology yeah. of the, the, and this, the 2010. This is a very <laughs> you could totally do a thesis on this movie. I feel like you'd you'd really want to have a lot more visuals to cite. Like it's kind of I feel like at a loss for a lot of the specifics I would like to get into are more like I would like to illustrate them visually. Like this would be a movie very well served by like a YouTube video with narration where you could like pause it and be like, here's the thing it's it's similar to. Like Yeah, nerd writer, get on this shit. Yeah. Someone else do this for me. Yeah, or someone doing like a, a a comparison of this movie and like you said earlier, Unfriended. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of similar. Which things. I really enjoyed, Unfriended. When we, oh yeah, when it was it was it. really it was really enjoyable little dumb thriller, a dumb horror movie. Uh, but Will, did you have any other things you wanted to talk about? You should definitely go out and watch Seven Thirty Five in the Morning because it's a very charming. It's it's an eight minute movie. It's very charming and it's it's off putting at, at first, and then you sort of figure out what it is, and it is a very catchy song uh, open windows itself if you're a nacho verse completist or you like elijah wood um you know it doesn't hurt yeah. I, I i i enjoyed some of this movie i really enjoyed making fun of this movie uh i <laughs> I, I it's really confusing at the end but it's, it's a rewarding ride for to some extent um part way through 
Sasha Grace sucks, but I mean, <laughs> we know that she sucks. There's lots of video showing that she sucks. <laughs> hey <Hey-o! laughs> <laughs> That's what Man, I got. That was good. Well, like I said, I, I, yeah, she's definitely really bad in this, but... The, the, you feel she. You don't hate her. You don't hate her as a person. You're like you feel sad that bad. she's not as good. She's as She's not as bad as somebody in like Sharknado. No, or no. It's like that. it's just like it's it, she's bad enough to be incongruous. Like she's bad enough to draw attention to her sure. her lack of ability to, to like meet the emotional needs. of the She scene. was okay at the beginning. I thought. I, I thought she was fairly relaxed. At the press conference. Yeah. When, so yeah. What happens? A couple people like. Ask ask questions, but they're sort of like very leery, just dudes, just being like, yeah. "Hey, person who takes off her clothes, are you in this thing?" Type of thing. Or there's yeah. the movie that's apparent. It, yeah, she's she's she has good comfortable she's, in that. she has good moments. And like I said, would you rather? She also is. It's it's a a role that's putting less focus on her, and she, I think she's way stronger in that. I've never seen the girlfriend experience where Soderbergh gave her like her first big normal movie role and so i don't know maybe she's perfect in that but i've heard that her performance is weak in that too i don't know i like i said i would sincerely hope that she would somehow get really successful uh and and be better at this and i i genuinely wish her the best of luck like obviously anything other than porn is like a better career (laughs) so i i would love for her to succeed and so it pains me to say that she does (laughs) such a bad job here but um, if you guys don't have anything else you want to talk about, uh, you want to get into our teachable moments? Sure. All right. Well, I can start and give you guys time to think of yours. Um, <laughs> so the main reason I wanted to watch, talk about this movie, and like I said, a big reason why, unfortunately, the podcast doesn't really serve this movie well is the aesthetic. As I said before, uh, Nacho commits very strongly to a very obscure aesthetic that we've only seen in a few very very small number of examples but it's very interesting it creates sort of avant-garde moments where most movies are just the the handling of them is so conventional and basically it's not even it's not even something you need to learn it's automatic how like all right you cut like this and then you jump to this you don't show this filler material but we instead have a real-time movie that is playing on a screen but also has characters in multiple different places, actually countries, literally. They're they're uh, and and yet still seemingly like one long scene, almost one long take, while clearly being much more complicated than that, and having these like things that come in and out. Uh, again, I'm not saying it's a very well written movie, but the aesthetic and seeing the way in which visually all of this stuff is tied together is really interesting. And so, as anybody who would be looking to direct a movie or just thinking about interesting ways of structuring a movie. You should really watch this movie to appreciate this like very, very creative attempt at working outside the box with what at its core is like kind of a generic familiar tropey idea of like there's a damsel in distress a person has kidnapped her, a man rescues her. It's like that filtered through the most avant-garde structure uh, that I've seen uh, it filtered through. And so I think it's really cool. You should really watch it. You should really watch Open Windows to study that. Um, And I guess that would be my teachable moment. That's a good one. Uh, I'll, all right, I'll go next. I I agree. I think Paulo's spot on. The, The technical part of this and the way that they cut together... Uh, you know, all these different, it's just, for the most part, it's just one person on the camera 
uh, playing to the camera as if it's just a webcam interacting with someone presumably on the other side of the screen. The way that it's cut together is really is really interesting and 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 relatively fresh, I suppose. But again, it might look dated. I think my bigger problem would be um, you got to have some rules that you have to set for yourself when you're writing your script, like. What is going on with like you've got you've got Elijah Wood's character who obviously we know it throughout the end like we don't even know if that's who he is or, or what but but throughout the process like he's the only character we kind of know something about Cord is just the villain and that's all he is and that's fine and then you've got these helper people but for such a small cast like you'd think that okay so it's either gonna have lots of action which this does. Or it's going to have some character development, and I have no idea. Yeah. The only journey, the only character I kind of... There are two characters I kind of empathize with. One is Jill Goddard, because uh, she's somewhat terrified, but Sasha Gray sort of betrays this because she's just not a very good actress. Yeah. Most of the time, her idea of being scared is literally physically shaking, yeah. like she's having like the... Yeah, like a, like she a, has actual Like she's having like a seizure orgasm. Yeah. Like It's like the only thing that she knows how to do. And then you kind of feel for Elijah Wood's character, because like... He's sort of being coerced to do these things. He's seeing horrible things happening. He's got to make decisions on the fly that he sort of is backed into a corner about. But, like, but again, at the end of the movie, it turns out that this is kind of betrayed. And th as you're watching this, you're just like, this is just so stupid. Why did you get this far into it? Okay, now that you're this far into it, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just stop? How hard would it be to just stop the car, call the police? It's just, like, aggravating on some level. So it's just, like... It's, it's probably more of a screenwriting like here's what not to do it has an interesting story but it's executed just so all over the place that's what yeah. I got alright yeah uh, my teachable moment um, I have a couple points to make but one of them is I think for any person who's trying to write a movie or any filmmaker, an easy avenue to explore is technology as a means of horror. I think that's why Black Mirror is so popular right now. Um, that's why they're doing a reboot of Blade Runner. Um, you know, it, we're in a time right now where technology is actually pretty scary. It's taking over... Uh, it, I mean, it's we're automating things like cars, uh, and uh, in ten years, when people listen to this podcast, they're going to be like, "Oh, Carrie, automating cars." In ten years from now, robots will be doing podcasts. <laughs> um, but I think that that's like a very easy thing to write about, and it would be pretty simple to make a movie about you know technology being the evil villain in your movie. Um, the, what? <laughs> like the Toby Hooper thriller about technology, The Mangler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like The Mangler. I know, I, I know. Well, in The Mangler, the villain is a laundry press. Yes, that was, that was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I want to mention, because we talked about this a little bit at the beginning when we were talking about Nacho, is... Just because you have a great original idea doesn't mean that you can write one draft and it's a great movie. Um, I think that Colossal is an example of that. I think Open Windows, I think he obviously wrote more than one draft of Open Windows, but it's still confusing as we've demonstrated by talking about it. Um, but... I, I would like to see, like I said, I'm going to definitely see Nacho's next movie, whatever it may be, unless it's like a really boring biopic. Uh, but, but otherwise, I'll be going to see his movies. 
And, and that's because I think he does have original ideas and I, I like the way that he's trying to execute them. I just think that resting on an original idea isn't enough. Yeah, I mean, agreed. But as proven with his case, sometimes it's just enough. Yeah. I mean, he's getting funding. Yeah. He's kicking it. He's meeting with people. I mean, as long as he makes more than 1700 bucks. And, and Hathaway did... These are better core premises than Book of Henry. Well, yeah, and he got Anne Hathaway. And she just, uh, she's a busy lady. Where there's a will, Anne Hathaway. Uh. Thank you, thank you, high school English teacher. <laughs> and on that note, this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo being booed. <laughs> I'm Carrie. And I'm Will. Thanks for rejoining us, Will. Yeah, thanks, Will, for opening this window with us. All right. <laughs> and we're going to close this window right now. And bye. Anoche no dormí hasta entrada la madrugada Y tengo por delante diez horas de oficina Entonces qué demonios provoca esta sonrisa A las 7.35 de la mañana Será el café Secret Cinema será is produced and edited by Paolo Crow All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode all logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema. La chica es mona. Eso está claro. Pero ella y tú nunca habéis cruzado una palabra. No sabes dónde vive. ¿Cómo se llama? ¿Dónde tienes el motivo para estar tan fascinado? Quizás sean sus ojeras de recién levantada esa forma tan curiosa de sujetar la taza O ese gesto pensativo al mirar por la ventana Tantas cosas yo que sé, es por todo y no es por nada Socorro, la concha que es San Bernardo Que no te acercas y le hablas No sabes quién es, no pierdes nada Tienes miedo de ofenderla o de enfadarla Parecer 